life can be tricky, making us ask, what was that? Join host Jan Murray and her guests as they explore the that's of life. Welcome to Life After That. Hello everyone, and I am Jan Murray, and this is episode three of Life After That. In episode two, you heard my family's story about the after diagnosis of amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, which my late husband was diagnosed with in June of 2010, and how it affected us, uh, him as a patient and our family, uh, over the course of seven and a half years until his death in June of 2017. So this episode will be the second and final part of our family's story in this series, uh, Life After that and the that being the years with ALS and what I've done and how I'm doing since that time. Uh, someone had asked me to write a follow-up book to my original book that dealt with the first few years of our time with ALS and that book, How ALS Changed Everything, Learning to Keep On Keeping On, uh, has been out now uh, on Amazon, I guess about eight years, and I read portions of that in episode two. I didn't want to write a follow-up book, though. I just uh, did not want to go that deep into everything. And since I've gotten into the podcast world, executive producing other people's podcasts, and I thought about doing my own, I came up with life after that. Choosing the different subject matters I wanted to use for this podcast, I decided to dedicate Season 1 to ALS and to the families who are still fighting that battle, who have fought that battle just like me and my family, just as a way to bring awareness and also to allow the families who decided to participate in this a way to honor their loved one and to also continue working through their grief and also to share how they've been doing since their loved one passed away from ALS. And over the course of the next many, many weeks, you will hear from different families about their person and the diagnosis, the life they led while they were living and surviving with the disease, and then life after that death and how they've continued on since then. So let me carry on. I'm just ad-libbing this episode. I decided not to make any note or really plan anything. I wanted to just uh, make this recording from my heart and from whatever comes to mind. I will say it's a stormy night here in South Alabama where I live, and this is one of those uh, situations where I've had to learn how to uh, deal with all of that without the aid of my wonderful husband. It has been five years. I pretty much just, you know, keep on keeping on just like he wanted me to, just like he kept on uh, keeping on. I don't know if I said that right, Um, when he was still sick. So his mantra was, you know, don't don't think about it. Don't be mad. Don't be sad. Just keep on going because doing either or the other would just not help you at all. It wouldn't help him when he was alive. Certainly wouldn't help me once he passed away. But I did find that to keep on keeping on was a lot harder than I anticipated. You will find that when someone has been a caretaker of someone for a very, very long time, that the feelings and emotions after a passing actually is kind of confusing because you're so exhausted from 
the caretaking of such an intense situation that ALS provi uh, proceeds to give you when you're going through that, that you're actually relieved. You're like, oh, thank goodness. But then the other part of you is deeply sad because this person that you love so much is gone. And then you start feeling guilty because you felt relieved at all. So it, it is kind of confusing. I felt very lost, but also at the same time, it was like I didn't have to have my phone on all night long. I didn't have to sleep with it next to my pillow for a while. I could actually sleep and not uh, worry every second of every day about another choke or another infection or anything. So I guess selfishly, I was relieved in the beginning uh, a little bit, but also just very sad. I was also very confused. I, I didn't know who I was anymore. I'm like, who are you, Jan Murray? You're not Bill's wife anymore. You're his widow. You're, you gave up your career months ago in order to be with him more because things were going bad. Your old position is now filled, so you don't have that job that you loved. Who are you and what are you going to do? Wow, I, you know, I just felt really lost. And I have a feeling that other spouses or, or even if you're taking care of a parent who was passing away or a sibling or a life partner or just a friend, I mean, if you were super attached and super involved, I would imagine you felt the same way. Uh, you're just tired so you're glad to get some rest you're glad that your loved one is not suffering anymore but it's just really confusing you'll hear some people say with well, the first year looking back I realized I was in a fog and maybe that fog was a gift of God because somehow you just go through the motions you get everything done that you have to get done but you don't have a lot of memory from that year I, I really don't uh, year two, I swear, was harder than year one because it's like the fog goes away and you're forced to really recognize your reality. At least that's how it was for me. So I read a lot that people will re uh, say that their husband or wife or friend or whoever the patient might have been, you know, died peacefully. And I'm so thankful that, that they did, and I, I think that's just wonderful. I had hoped my husband would also die peacefully, but he did not. He actually struggled the last few days. Uh, he was pretty much just septic from just long-term infections with UTIs, and he had C. diff, and if you don't know what that is, just Google C. diff. It's pretty rough. And when he decided he didn't want any more treatment, he had had enough, and we agreed to let him go. You know, we really started questioning that when he started suffering. And his the last few days of his life were terrible. He was pretty much unconscious, but he was having seizures or convulsions. I, I really don't even know what they truly were. They gave him morphine by mouth, and it never took effect because at that point, his whole system was shutting down and secretions were building up, and it literally wasn't getting absorbed. So they gave him an injection of morphine, which calmed the, uh, calmed down the seizures and the convulsions. And, you know, he seemed to be sleeping peacefully, and I was able to rest a little bit. A lot of people were coming and going. There were people coming in praying for him. And I had asked publicly for prayer on social media because I didn't know what was going on. It was so violent, and it was just, it was just terrible. And um, at some point during that long weekend, they ran out of injectable morphine. Nobody had any, and it was going to be Monday before they could get any more. And I was livid. I'm like, he's thrashing around all in the bed. They were telling me, well, he doesn't know it. He's unconscious, but how do you really know? I mean, his 
it was it was really a horrific scene. I wound up getting a message from one telling me that a doctor at the hospital had seen the post about what we were going through and said if I could get him to the hospital, they would take over his care. So that's what I did. I, I had him loaded in an ambulance with his convulsions and seizing and took him to the hospital. That doctor, that wonderful doctor, took over and gave him just a tad of fentanyl in, uh, in his wrist because there was almost no vein, and it immediately calmed down the seizing. For many hours, he laid there and slept and rested without convulsions or seizing, and they had hooked him up to a morphine pump and had actually put in a central IV line, you know, in the neck because they couldn't get a good vein, and Things were calm for several hours, and I was so grateful for that. But then it started back up, even in the hospital. It was just horrible. It was just horrible. And the doctor had long gone home, but I begged them to please call that doctor and ask them to come back. The nurse that was assigned to us never left us, but she couldn't control the, the secretions, the suctioning, the convulsions. Nothing was working. And the doctor came back, and I asked her to please, you know, give him fentanyl again because it was the only thing it had helped before. Little did I know that it was just going to be the last time. And even though he was dying and he was about to die, I had no idea that it was going to happen right then. And it did, and it happened immediately. And for the first time in seven and a half years, his entire body relaxed, his head straightened up. He hadn't been able to hold his head up for months and months and months. His head straightened up. His body relaxed, his arms, were, everything went back to complete normal, except he had passed away. Now, that was, a, that was just really hard. It's only now that I can really talk about it without bursting into tears. And I had to seek uh, some, some help to deal with that because that was not how I expected my beloved husband to pass away. It was, it was just really rough. So I guess my life after that included seven and a half years of being a caretaker of someone with a devastating disease. But I also had a life after that, that violent three, four days, that horrible ending to what was a fantastic life, a wonderful, wonderful life. So I had a lot that I had to unpack and a lot I had to deal with. And I think that I just went into another place. I, I took myself on a little trip just to clear my head, and I'm talking a trip an hour from home. I just went and got a hotel room that had a, a jacuzzi bathtub just so I could relax a little bit. Made a trip to uh, the Gulf Coast and uh, stayed down there a couple of days by myself. Went and swam with dolphins and just did several things just to kind of relax my mind and relax my body. But then reality hit, oh wow, I have got to find a job. I've got to survive, right? I had to go into survival mode very quickly. I had to reinvent myself. My old job there, it wasn't open anymore. Didn't really quite know what I was going to do, but lo and behold, I discovered the wonderful world of online teaching, um, ESL, English as a Second Language. So I went to work for the next two plus years for a couple of different Chinese companies, and I also taught privately on my own. Uh, I taught children from this country online and I taught almost 2,000 kids over that course of time uh, that lived in other countries. China primarily, but also Mongolia, Japan, Australia, Canada, and like I said, also the United States. So I taught multiple subjects to multiple people. I loved it. I absolutely loved it. It 
just it gave me something new to do something to really throw myself into and I was doing that within a month of his passing I had transformed myself from a news reporter to an online uh, ESL teacher I also taught geography and paragraph writing to uh, English students uh, American students so I did that loved it the hours were kind of bad because I had to kind of teach in the middle of the night but I loved it the pay was good and it really sustained me and I quite frankly that whole first year I was too tired to mourn much I had my moments where I did but I taught from say 3 a.m. to 8.30 or 9 o'clock in the morning. And by the time I finished doing that, I was exhausted and I would sleep a good portion of the day, get back up during the night, eat dinner, teach some late night classes, sleep a little bit more, then get back up before the sun came up to teach again. And I did that seven days a week for a really, really long time. But it, it definitely helped me. After about, I guess, after about a year and a half of that, I got a full-time job at a family business. Someone in my family has a business, and I worked for them, I guess, for maybe about a year before I went to work for the university where I now work as an academic advisor. I also teach, and now I produce podcasts and do my own. I still freelance write occasionally for newspapers. I help uh, others who are publishing their books. I edit books and design the interiors and that sort of thing. So I've done a lot of different things, but I've thrown thrown myself into my work. I also went back and I completed my master's degree. I graduated a year ago with my master's. I'm currently enrolled in a doctoral program. You know, I don't know whether I'll ever get to the finish line. Those uh, doctoral degree takes many many years it's very expensive but for right now I'm happy doing that and so life after that I reinvented myself I found a way to survive Uh, I'm happy I'm actually very happy at this point in my life I'm very satisfied I struggle financially I certainly don't have financial means like many do I live paycheck to paycheck and sometimes I don't make it to the next paycheck But in any case, for the most part, I'm happy. I miss my bill terribly. And if I could have him back healthy uh, without ALS, absolutely, I would want him back. I like to think that he's aware of what I'm doing. And I believe he would be proud of the uh, things that I've done. I believe he'd be proud of my Uh, of our children they have done well It's, it's been really hard on all of us we've dealt with it in our own way I do think one of the reasons that I was able to keep going and make a new life for myself is that where I live he never actually lived here he was in a nursing home the last couple of years of his life because I it was just too much I could I couldn't do it myself I couldn't lift a 210-pound man anymore. I just couldn't do it alone. And it was just the best decision. And frankly, he was in a really great place. It was like a Disney World. They always had activities going on. And he had a great life there. And we were there every day for him. And it was just great. It really honestly was not a bad thing. So where I live now, I bought myself about the year maybe well probably nine months before he died so this has always just been my place there's very little here that was connected to him his things or what I did keep are in a box his flag that they folded and presented at his service I have that and it's I'm looking at it as I say this I have a couple of things that were ours our wedding photographs still hang on my wall but for the most part 
Everything in here is specifically mine. So I've never had the issue of, say, having his chair staring me in the face or, you know, or our bed that we shared because we never shared the bed that I have now. And I do not have a chair. His chair is not here. I think that actually helped me a lot. Uh, the things that are important to me are mostly photographs and maybe some letters and notes that I have put away. Those things I still have, but they're put away, and I do not stare at them. I don't get things out very often. I feel like I have to always look forward, not look backwards. I can go back and remember uh, when I need to, and I can cry when I need to, but I've learned to get it out of my system, put it back in its compartment, and keep moving forward. So I'm doing exactly what he asked me to do. Keep on keeping on. I really had to kick myself in the tail in that second year and say, you know, Bill fought so hard to live with ALS. He fought so hard to live every single day, even when nothing worked hardly of his body other than his eyes and maybe a thumb on one hand. But he still brought joy to people. He still made jokes. He still laughed. He made jokes using his chart that he used his finger to spell with. Eye gaze never worked for him because his eyes were affected by the disease. But every day, unless he was really sick, you know, he just kept looking forward and trying to find a way. So I told myself, how dare I sit here and cry and be depressed and woe is me when my man who had this horrible disease fought so hard to live and to keep going. He would never want me or our children or his family or anyone to get stuck in a place of mourning and grief. And so I didn't. I just said, suck it up, cry when you need to, but then get up and keep going. And if you need to stop tomorrow and cry, then do it, but then get up and keep going. So that's what I've done. Um, I created an entirely new career for myself. I've continued with an education that I long dreamed of continuing with, but never had time raising children and working and, and then having that disease to deal with. So I've carved out this little life. It's not much. I don't have much, but I'm happy. And I think he would be proud of me for that. So that's my life after ALS. And I believe everybody, all survivors can do the same. Yes, we have forms of PTSD. There are certain things that sends us backwards. But you know, just learning to deal with that, looking forward and realizing that we've been gifted with life to continue on this earth and do what we can to move forward. If that means helping other people that are still in the ALS world, so be it. I hope that this podcast does that. If it's not doing that, but separating yourself completely and finding a completely new direction, then so be it. Do that too. Do whatever you have to take to make a life for yourself and to keep going. Keep on keeping on. That's what you got to do and reach out to those who know what you're going through. Reach out to me. Reach out to anybody. If you want to email me, lifeafterthatpodcast at gmail.com. If you want to be on this show and talk about your story, uh, contact me. You know, sometimes just talking about it with others who understand who've been there can send you miles and miles forward in getting over it. Maybe not getting over it, but doing better and being able to grasp life again. Don't internalize. Talk about it. If you can't find somebody to talk to, join one of the widows groups or widower groups on uh, Facebook and, you know, get hooked up with some of us that have been there. You know, we understand where you're going through. We understand completely what you're going through. You have to grieve in your own time and in your own way, but don't get stuck. 
do not get stuck. Keep on keeping on. So that's my best message. A message from my husband is for you to keep on keeping on. Keep striving for a better life for yourself. It will come. I promise. I promise you it will get better. Thanks for joining us. Come back in two weeks for our next family and their story.